Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. He said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you do, get insight. Proverbs chapter 4. Our text for today that we're going to look at closely, 1 Kings chapter 3, is on page 282 of your Pew Bible. If you would like to follow along, we're basically going to look at what's printed in the bulletin as well. uh, The story of Solomon's prayer, which is fascinating on so many levels. Solomon is fascinating on so many levels. He's the wisest guy who ever lives, and he ends up worshiping idols and marrying many, many, many women who lead him astray. How does that happen? How does the wisest guy who ever lived make so many stupid decisions? That in itself is its own question. It's also right there at the start of this. Uh, The text says that Solomon loved Jesus. He loved the Lord. He walked in the statues of David, his father, only, except, right, there's this bad thing. He made offerings at the high places. Now, the high places in ancient Israel are effectively hills with trees where people would offer sacrifices. And many times at various points in Israel's history, these sacrifices are made to Jesus. They're made to God. It's not that they're all Baal and Asherah poles, although that is what happens over time. That's what they all become is Baal worship and Asherah worship and all the various Canaanite worship, Moloch worship. But at times, the high places are people offering sacrifices to God, to their father, to the one who brought them out of Egypt. The problem is, God has already said at Mount Mount Sinai, the only place you're supposed to offer sacrifices is at the Ark of the Covenant. So you can go out on the hilltop and pray to Jesus all that you want, but if you're not where Jesus says to be, then Jesus isn't usually very happy about that. And this is where you can kind of see the connection point today. You've heard it said by people, well, I can find God in the sunset. I can find God in the waves of the ocean. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to listen to Jesus and I can love him anyway. It's a strange kind of folly that. And here it is, Solomon participating in that kind of folly very early. And yet we don't want to miss the promise. The promise is real. No one in all of history, aside from Jesus, is as wise as King Solomon. And by wise, we mean an understanding of who God really is. We mean a revelation of the word of God that allows him to see with the mind of God. And that's why, in spite of his story in the scriptures, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, are all there in the Bible. I think he wrote Job, too, by the way. They're all there in the Bible as the deliverance of that holy wisdom for you. So here's another piece of it then. So the wisest guy who ever lived, who made a few mistakes, 
I think, after he made those mistakes, repented and came back to the faith, wrote the book of Proverbs, put down all the wisdom he could possibly have in a book for you. So if you got the wisest man writing a book about his wisdom for you and you don't read it with regularity, you know what that makes you, right? It makes you a fool. You're choosing to be a fool. It's possible to be a fool and a Christian. It's it's possible to not rely on God's word entirely for your thoughts and still be saved by grace through the fire. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you've got one foundation on which you can build. That foundation is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of his blood, the righteousness of you being justified eternally on the last day. But when you build on that, you can build with gold. You can build with straw. The gold is going to be refined. It's going to get better. The straw is going to burn up. It's going to pass away. And he implies that on the last day, then, this is what we will experience as Christians. That those of us who have heard the word of God, have believed the word of God, have committed our lives to the word of God and what it says, we'll find only more of what we already had. And then those who are saved as a brand snatched from the fire, they will be saved, but they will be saved by watching much of what they thought they had go away. Now, I don't want to confuse that with salvation. I'm talking about all the people that will be saved. We will have different experiences of that faith in this life. Some people will live lives in which they effectively ignore the word of God, and yet by grace, through a flickering wick of faith, they'll make it to the end. But if you think that's the better way, you're missing the point. It's not better to just barely get through by the skin of your teeth. What's good is to see. What's good is to know. What's good is to, in every dark and stormy path, have the blood of Jesus plastered before your eyes so that through who he is, you always are walking straight. That's a gift. That's not something you earn. That's a gift that's promised. And the promise, again, begins with him saying, I'm going to give it to you. Ask you ask, and then he gives, and when he gives, you got to grab. you got to receive. you got to speak and say and know. All right, so, so Solomon is a, a picture of this for us. An imperfect man, much that he built was of straw and does burn away, and yet here he is as our model. So please do not confuse any of what I've said with self-righteousness, or the idea that you're going to go out and make yourself holy, that's a bunch of hogwash. All I'm saying is that the words of the Bible are regenerative. And since you have the Holy Spirit in you to make you know they are, well then, grab it. Get more. And see how Solomon is a picture of that here in his young age. All right, so I already mentioned how he is in every way holding to the faith of his father David. And yet he is making this one error. He's out at the high places. Verse 4 tells us the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, I I may be mistaken in this, but I don't think I am. I'm 95% sure this is right. So Gibeon is the great high place because the tabernacle that Moses put together at Sinai is still there. 
The ark has been brought to Jerusalem and is put in a tabernacle that David has had developed there. But the original tabernacle and some of the elements out of the Sinai covenant are at Gibeon. And so you have this strange situation where it's not all being done the way it's supposed to be done. Like they really weren't supposed to let go of that tabernacle. And all of those items were supposed to be kept in the same place. But from the beginning of Joshua into Judges, there's this confusion and losing of the exact covenant that was given. So in that, I think you can see how Solomon's both right and wrong. Right? He's going sort of to where he's supposed to go, and yet, no, he's, he's kind of not. And you can also see then the grace of God in this. God doesn't come along and say, well, 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 you should have been at the Ark of the Covenant. You're out here at the tabernacle. What are you thinking, Solomon? And, and I'll jump ahead here. What Solomon do at the end of the story? He starts making sacrifices at the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. So the immediate result of this whole gift of wisdom is something of a repentant moment, of an understanding. Yeah? And as you know, we're going to have a voters meeting today, I hope that it goes pretty smoothly. There's nothing too, too riotous on the agenda. But as anyone who's been in a more riotous voters assembly knows, getting a group of people to do things isn't so easy. And so getting all of Israel to stop going out to their local chapel to offer incense by the trees to Jesus, well, it's not like you can snap your fingers as king and make that happen. There, there are many kings who will try, and they'll find that it's resisted. And even if they tear down the idols, they're put back up as soon as the king dies. So, so we don't want to just lay everything at Solomon's feet here as if he could have done more than he did. But again... He's out then at this place that seems to be where you go to find Jesus, although it's not technically where he should be. And that's verse four. And he's offering, again, a thousand burnt offerings. I mean, the guy is, is bringing lots of cows. <laughs> I can't even really picture how long it takes to slit the throat of a thousand cows or sheep, if you want, and to drain their blood and to cut them up and to separate all the portions according to the Levitical code. So the fatty liver is over here and the leg is over here and the priests get some of this and all of that. And then you burn the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's a lot of time invested in prayer that Solomon is doing. And, and then at this place, at Gibeon, verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. I'll just stop there with dream for a moment. Dreams are not the normal way God talks to people. Not now, not then. Uh, in the Old Testament, it does happen from time to time. David, not David, excuse me, Joshua. That's not right either. Joseph, there we go. Joseph is the kind of famous dreamer. Uh, Abraham has a dream. There, there are times when this happens, but it's pretty rare. And by this point in the history of Israel, it's even more rare. So when Isaiah sees the vision of uh, God high and lifted up, he's not dreaming. Uh, dreaming is kind of left for the ancient times, but here it happens. He's given this dream by night, and in the dream, God says, ask what I shall give you. It's kind of like the story of the genie and the lamp. Yeah? You just get one wish instead of three. But, you know, rub the lamp, out comes a genie, whatever you want, one thing, ask carefully, right? You ever thought you should ask to know what I should ask for next? Yeah, that might be a smart one. Anyway, I think Solomon gives a pretty, pretty good answer. Now, I don't know if I should say this before or after I read it. I'll say it after I read it. So uh, verse six, Solomon said, 
You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go in or come out. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? In verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. I I remember uh, very vividly, although I don't remember where, I think I was pretty young. I want to say seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that age, which means it probably was in Sunday school that I heard this story for the first time. And I, I don't remember where I was, though. I don't remember hearing the story. All I remember is something inside of me saying, that was a good answer. I think I'm going to say to God right now, me too. That's what I want you to do today, right now. I want you to see that that was a good answer. Ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. What did Jesus just say in Luke? Ask and you shall receive. So what are you going to ask for? Long life? Riches? Success? A good answer. Ask for a discerning mind. Ask to be able to see according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And you're going to get everything. Everything. Let's take it a piece at a time here, though, so we can understand his prayers. It's really quite beautiful. Uh, At the beginning, verse 6, you have shown great and, it says, steadfast love. If you've been around long enough, you've heard me say the Hebrew word kesed. Kesed. It can be translated as steadfast love, loving kindness. I like unyielding fidelity. That kind of gets there, but that's a bit complicated. I'm leaning more and more on loyalty recently. Now, what is true love? Is true love that our eyes meet and we're tickled pink and we just want to smile forever together? Well, I mean, that's what the movies will tell you. But what is true love when you're both 78 years old, your bodies don't work, and one of you starts to maybe lose it a little in the head? What's true love there? It's loyalty is what it is. It's commitment. So this kesed word, this loyalty word, he says to God, you've shown loyalty to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in, now there's three words here, faithfulness, righteousness, and uprightness. And uh, that word faithfulness is super, super important in the Psalms. It shows up again and again, and it usually is translated as truth, however. So whenever you see, at least in the New King James, the phrase mercy and truth, that's kesed and this word here, which you know this Hebrew word, you say it all the time, amen. Say it, amen. There it is. Yeah, it means means truth. It means yes. Here it's translated faithfulness, but the idea is it's a steadfast, non-changing reality. Yeah. 
So mercy and truth, kesed u amen. Uh, and here he mentions both of those words, first God's loyalty to him, and now David walking in that amen to what God has said, along with righteousness. You've heard this one from me before, tzedek. Zedek, this might as well be justification by grace through faith. The idea here is the righteousness of God, the accuracy of God, the perfection of God doing it in a way that it always works. He never misses the mark. Yeah, that is what David walked in. And again, I mean, David definitely sinned against Jesus. He says so himself. So he missed the mark from time to time. And yet as soon as he is confronted about his sin with Bathsheba, what does David do? He says, I've sinned. And in that regard, he doesn't miss the mark. He knows where his righteousness really lies, and it's not in himself. It's in his God who has chosen and anointed him king. Just as the same God has chosen and anointed you, baptized you, a Christian, which means a little piece of the king, Jesus himself. Yeah. So David's walking again in Amen and Zedek, and then uprightness of heart toward you. Uh, yashar is a little less common, although it's pretty common in the Proverbs. And all three of these words, again, show up in the Proverbs with great regularity. Yashar, uprightness. This is a way of describing what it means to be good by referring to the human body as a picture. So if you're walking on a road and you have to be hunched over down, uh, there's a couple of things that we could read from that. One is that your road is not very safe. One is that your body is not very good for walking with. One is that your heart is downcast. All three of those are the opposite of being upright, which is to walk seen clearly ahead, unafraid of what's around you and certain about where you're going. And so the Bible uses this idea of being upright to describe what it's like to walk in the wisdom God has given. That you have no doubts about what God has said. And I don't mean by that you're never going to have doubts in your heart. I mean, when you have doubts in your heart, you're going to know they're doubts. You're like, man, I'm really doubting right now. I know what God said. Huh? And you're not going to bend away from what God said just because somebody's like, I disagree. I think that's a hateful thing you just said. Love is love. So, again, Solomon says, You, God, have been loyal to me, to us, because of these things you gave us, Amen, Zedek, and Yashar, in heart toward you. We'll come back to that heart idea in a moment, but it's pretty key. Uh, The heart is the inward reality of a man in the Old Testament. The head is the outward reality of a man. Right, So we might say body and soul. They would say head and heart. Head and heart. Heart is where your soul resides. He says, he goes on, and you have kept for him, that's for David, this great and steadfast love, that's the kessid word again, this loyalty, and given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And there's all sorts of great stuff about the covenant of the throne, but we'll leave that for another time. Verse 7, though, now, O Lord, or O Jesus, my God, You have made your servant king in place of David. Notice how he describes himself with humility. He calls himself the servant of God. Now, there's a beautiful thing about the ancient world. They tended to just do this when they talked to each other. So someone would come up and say, hey, can you help me? And I am your servant. You you, You just would take that mindset. It was a way of saving face or showing honor to your neighbor, but especially then. 
to see how he is readily going to say to God, I don't deserve anything. You've asked me for to ask you for anything, but I don't I don't deserve that. I'm, I'm still your servant. Yeah. And now what you've done is you've made me king in place of David, although I am but a little child and do not know how to go out or come in. Now, Solomon is not a little child at this point in his life. He is a grown man. But notice again the humility. I don't think he's just buttering God up either. He's not saying this just to kind of make a show for God, kind of a false pretense. He's really saying, I honestly know that I don't know enough to be a good king. And he describes that as being like a child, which there's an innocence involved there too, but there's a neediness. That's what he's getting at. I'm needy. I don't know how to go out or come in. It's like saying, I don't know how to tie my shoelaces. And of course, Solomon knew how to go out and come in, but, but he knows it's not enough. And that's the key, right? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Yeah? The beginning of wisdom is this, you don't have any. Start with that. Yeah? He who is wise in his own eyes, guess what he is? He's a fool. Yeah? So as you ask Jesus today for wisdom, which is my plea to you, use this day, ask for wisdom Make that commitment to do something and believe with certainty that where you read in the scriptures this year, God is going to use that to build you, to chasten you, to drive you, to cover you with grace and to make you see, right? Start with the recognition that you need to, that you don't have it yet. That no matter how much you've grown, he can always show you more. There's, there's no end to the steadfast love of Jesus, yeah? All right, so uh, verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. I would just focus on that word and know that's about you, chosen. You are chosen. You are elect. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. You are called. Even if you weren't baptized, which you are, and you were sitting here today, I can promise you that because you're hearing me say it, you're chosen. You're called out of darkness. You're handpicked from the fire. Huh? Since you're chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude, that's Solomon's desire to lead them again. He sees how weak he is. But you can put that into whatever context you have, your family, your career, American politics. doesn't matter to me. You can see how there's too much for any of us to manage, but we know we're chosen. Yeah. Verse 9. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. All right, now I'm going to quibble with the text. Neither the word understanding nor the word mind are there in the text. I don't, I don't know why. I really don't. I get it. Like, they're trying to tell you what it means. But what it says is, give your servant an listening heart. And you can see, right, how a listening heart and an understanding mind, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of the same idea. But, but doesn't it just get you? Give your servant a listening heart. Yeah. Teach me how to pray, even. Give your servant a listening heart to govern your people. That word govern there is mishpat, judge, like the judges of old. Yeah? Uh, or like the scales, which would be used to tell the difference between a false weight and a true weight, being able to build something like a bridge that doesn't fall down because it's, it's got a good measurement to it. It's done right. Give your servant a listening heart to be able to mishpat, 
to be able to see and act clearly for your people, that I may discern between good and evil. That word discern there is the word being. It, it means between. So you actually have that word here twice, that I may between, between good and evil. Yeah. What is understanding? How do you know something? It's always going to be, well, there's this and there's that. And I know the difference. And if I might make a quick left turn, you can see how fast our society is collapsing, that the most paradigmatic this and that, and there's a difference between the two, is something we don't believe exists anymore. How long until we can't do two plus two and build bridges? That's a good question. Because when you reject the obvious things of nature, like man and woman, eventually you're going to reject everything else. Again, Solomon just says, let me not do that. Let me know how to see one thing from another. Let me know how to tell the difference between red and yellow. Let me know how to tell the difference between good and evil. The most important things there. For who is able to mishpot this, your great people? Now, verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. That's, that's something to me right there. There's so many places where the, someone in the Bible hears God and says, let it be according to your word. I will do according to your word. That's the way it's supposed to go, is that God speaks and we do according to his word. But now God says to Solomon, I'm going to do according to your word. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful statement there. Yeah. And why? Why is this? Because again, as Jesus said in Luke 11, what's Solomon really asking for? Is he just asking to be smart? No. He's asking for the Holy Spirit. He's asking to be regenerated as a Christian and to see clearly. He's asking to keep his faith, which again, I believe he does in spite of his decisions later on in his life. And for that reason, again, I implore you today, ask yourself, yeah? Ask God for this because God, whether he will give you riches and long life and the death of your enemies in this life, I guarantee you, he is going to give you riches and long life and the death of your enemies in the life of the world to come. That's what eternity in paradise is. The devil and all his angels are going to be cast into the fire. There go your enemies. Long life, I mean, it's never going to end. Eternity. Day after day, one more day praising Jesus is never going to end. That's going to be yours. And then the wealth of the mansions of heaven, each man under his own vine and fig tree, who knows what you'll be doing. Will you be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? Are you going to have a pizza station by the seashore? That's what I'm leaning for, I think, if I can get it. Yeah. Um, long life, riches, honor, they're all yours in Christ. Whether or not he gives them to you in this life, and don't be mistaken, he might give it to you in this life but you don't want it without wisdom. If you have wisdom, you'll know what to do with it. If you don't have wisdom, it'll destroy you. He says, I'll give it to you. I do according to your word. I give you a wise kakma. First time the word wise is used there. That's the word that Proverbs just runs around all the time. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I give you a wise and discerning, that's that between word being, a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I'm always jealous at that point. I really want to be as wise as Solomon. I want to be remembered like Solomon. 
I also know that's a very foolish thing. And I know it's a wise thing to see it's a foolish thing. And can you see how the circle starts to go? Yeah. That's okay. Get lost in that circle. Be happy in that circle. Want to be as wise as Solomon. Know that you won't be as wise as Solomon. Ask to be as wise as Solomon. See that you're not as wise. That is the pursuit of wisdom. And over time, with your mind and heart trapped in the scriptures, you may not be as wise as Solomon. But you're going to be wiser than your enemies. You're going to see more clearly than those who hate you and despise you because of your faith. You'll learn how to flee the wicked things and chase the good things, as Paul said in in 1 Timothy today. Verse 13, I also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Now, of course, uh, again, this is for you. No one who's not a Christian can compare with you all your days. That's just a fact. But really, now, see the typology, see the prophecy. I mean, no one did compare with Solomon in his days, that's for sure. Who's Jesus, then? Is he not the true man of peace? Solomon's name means man of peace. Is he not the true king of Israel? Solomon was the king of Israel. Is he not the true son of David? Solomon was the son of David. Is not Jesus truly the king to whom no one can compare? King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, when Jesus read this story, what do you think he did? He asked for wisdom and he got it. And then he saw that for the joy set before him, he would go to the cross. Of course, that has been done for you. So that you may, verse 14, walk in his ways, keep his statutes and his commandments as his father David had done before him. As your father, Abraham, David, Isaac, all of them have done before you. This doesn't mean to keep the commandments with a perfect tit-for-tat, eye-for-eye ability. This simply means to hear the word of God and believe it. I already mentioned how, verse 15, he awakes, it's a dream, and he goes to Jerusalem and stands before the ark. See the wisdom. Bam, he's got it. I should be where I'm supposed to be. I should offer sacrifices where I'm supposed to offer sacrifices at the covenant of the Lord. And as we move toward our close here this morning, then, please understand how that ark of the covenant went away so that the true ark, Jesus' body, could be buried and raised again, the new temple built in three days for God to inhabit mankind forever. And how now, at this moment, a few moments from now, that very temple, that very ark, that very place, that body and blood of Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven, inhabit bread and wine, and enter you. That already is the greatest wisdom there ever will be. I implore you then, seize it. And don't be afraid to ask for more. In the name of Jesus, amen.